Well, let's pray, and we're going to dive into something brand new here today, and I'll explain in just a little bit. Well, Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, and we thank you for your presence meeting us here in this place. God, we love you, and we thank you for the privilege of being called your children. And now, as we are here in 2021, in this great nation, opening up the Bible, these holy scriptures, your literal voice in written form, we ask that you would speak to us. We ask that you would bless every heart in here, that each and every person would hear directly from heaven here this morning. Lead us in this time. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a little kid, I was being watched by one of my mom's friends and her son, who was a few years older than me. And I was watching Looney Tunes, you know, good old classic cartoons. Uh, I can't understand a lot of the cartoons that are out there today, but I was watching me some Bugs Bunny, some Daffy Duck, you know, all that kind of stuff. And as I was watching it, the babysitter got distracted with something. I'm not sure what she was doing. And the, the son, who was a little bit older than me, decided he didn't want to watch cartoons. He wanted to watch Chips. You know, remember that show? <laughs> he wanted to watch Chips. So he changed the channel, meaning he got up off of the couch, walked over to this giant wooden box called the television set, and turned, uh, if you don't ever heard of it, it's called a knob. And you turn that, and you change the channel before there was remotes. And so he got up, walked over to the TV, and I said, oh, no, he's not. And he turned the channel. So I got up and I turned it back and then he turned it back to chips and we went back and forth and I got upset because I said, this is my house and you're just here. You shouldn't have to be here and you're trying to change my cartoons and he would not change it. His mom wasn't in the area. He was getting all big and tough. And so I did the most Christian thing imaginable. I looked around for something to throw at him and I found that my dad had a set of dumbbells. Those, those old dumbbells, you know, the kind that are solid concrete that have the plastic wrapped around them. So I, I'm probably four or five years old at the time. And I pick up this probably 15, 20 pound weight. And I said, change it back or I'm going to throw it. And this older guy, he could see that I was struggling enough just to carry it, let alone throw it at him. And he says, throw it. So with all of my might, I throw this weight. It went probably a whole two inches. It fell, and then it broke in half. And like clockwork, who do you think rolls up on the driveway but my dad? And so I run to my room, and I slide under the bed. And I mean, I put my back against the wall and try to disappear as best I know how. I hear the commotion going on in the living room and, you know, obviously the babysitter's, you know, apologetic because she wasn't keeping a close eye and uh, the son was explaining, you know, what had happened and what I did. And then my dad excuses them, they go on their way and then I am looking at the doorway of my bedroom and I see my dad's big boots right there at the doorway. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it. He walks over, I see those boots turn around, then I see the weight of my mattress springs go down a little bit. And he says, Rudy, come on up here. Come on up here. And I probably said something like, no habla inglés. Like, you know, trying to <laughs> avoid the situations. I get up here. So my dad sat, sat me next to him. And, you know, normally I would get a spanking. Normally I, I would get, you know, punishment or something like that. But this time my dad saw an opportunity. And he said, this is not how we treat guests in our home. That wasn't a bad boy who changed your channel. That was our guest. And when anyone is in our home, we give them the first opportunity to watch what they want to watch. We make sure they have something to drink. He taught me about respect, and he shared this with me. And, you know, for a four- or five-year-old kid, I'm actually 
learning this for the very first time, and it's making sense to me. It was a lesson that stuck with me all my life, and still to this day, uh, I, I take that lesson and bless the people that come under the roof of our home. But you know, that day, this little boy who was hiding under a bed with a lump in his throat and his heartbeat coming out of his chest and scared to death is what many people think that God the Father is like. They think that in our sin and in our failures and in our messes in life, that God cannot wait to punish us, that God cannot wait to get us, that God cannot wait to be angry with us. And they don't see what Psalm 2-4 says, that he who is enthroned in heaven laughs that the Father on the throne room of grace has a smile on his face. They don't see that. They see an angry God who just wants to get them. And many Christians, they have a wrong view of God. I mean, there's, there's atheists who don't believe God exists. There's people who think that God is just angry and unfair and they want nothing to do with him. But even Christians, even pastors at times will preach an angry God. I remember, and I probably shared this already, a pastor in San Diego when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans said, well, that was, if there was ever a city that needed God's hand of punishment, that when a, when a, a city turns its, its back to God, God removes his hand of protection. I don't know what Bible he was reading out of, but I don't see that in my Bible. I see a God of love, a God of protection, a God of grace. And many people believe this. And there's many people who won't even come to church because they feel like God is angry with them. My own father-in-law, he said, I I'm not going to church. We invited him several times. He said, if I step into God's house, I'm going to catch on fire because <laughs> of all the things that I've done in my life. And we were so blessed because uh, Gabriel, uh, he graduated his little preschool class inside of the sanctuary, and he had to come. And I nudged him. I said, hey, you're not even smoking. You know? <laughs> you're looking pretty good in here. You know? And that's another blessing about having our children in church. It's a great evangelistic opportunity to bring people in. But there is a need to help people fully understand that God is loving and that he's a great God that, that desperately wants our communion and fellowship. You know, it's not just understanding that God is good and loving. Many of us would agree, yeah, God loves me. God is good. We could acknowledge that. But in reality, in our lives, when we kind of look at the day-to-day -day of our lives, we're not really putting the presence of God as our first priority. The presence of God is not our, our greatest affection in our life. It's not the, the highest desire that we have. For some of us, it's just getting some rest. For some of us, it's getting more time. Some of us, it's getting more money. For some of us, we're so distracted and preoccupied with everything else that at the end of the day, you said, wow, God, I didn't even give you a, a time or space in all of my day. I just went about like a busy bee and, and did what I needed to do. No, the presence has to be restored to the priority, the pinnacle of all that we do as a believer. Prayer should never be a last resort. It should always be a first priority. All throughout our day, if we can worry all day long, we can worship all day long. If we can stress, if we can be thinking of two different things at the same time, guess what? You can constantly say, Father, what are you saying? Father, what are you saying? God, what do you want me to focus on right now? And constantly be, put that before. We can never say, all I can do is pray. That's one of the worst things we can say because what you're acknowledging is that, okay, God, I've tried to figure it out on my own. I've used all my energy, all my talent, all my intelligence. I've tried every angle to fix this problem. I've exhausted everything. So I guess all I can do now is offer a holy wish and just pray. It is the complete opposite. If we put prayer in the presence of God before, you'd be amazed at what God can speak to you to not just get you through the trial, but to triumph in the midst of the trial. And today we're starting a new series. I'm going to go about three weeks on a series called Alive in His Presence. 
And it's my heart, not only in this church as a core value of who we are, but in my own life, that the presence of God needs to be the pinnacle, that the presence of God needs to be the center of it all. And today, specifically, we're going to be talking about my great reward, this conversation that God had with Abraham that Abraham didn't really get, that I hope and I pray that we can accept and see here today. So I'm going to read to you not out of the New American Standard this morning, which is normally everything that I read, but I'm going to the good old King James Version this morning in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. So God declared to Abraham, Abraham's in the middle of battles. Abraham is uh, sojourning. Abraham is going through where he's been declared to be a father of many nations, a covenant between him and God, but he's still childless. And in the middle of this, God declares to him that all that I've commanded you to do, all that I will bless you with, you need to understand that I am your protection. You need to understand that your reward is me. Our greatest prize is the presence of God. Our best reward, the, the greatest satisfaction we could ever have is the very presence of God. It's, it's like marriage. You don't get married in order to get something in the future. You get married and that is the reward. That is the gift of marriage and you maintain that precious gift. You continue to grow that precious gift. And the same with the presence of God. When Jesus died for us and we accepted him as Savior, he opened us up to be reunited and back into the arms of the Father, the greatest gift we could ever have. And through all our decades on planet Earth, our job is to maintain that, to grow that, to steward and host the presence of God as best we know how. And Abraham didn't fully understand this. Abraham said, okay, you're my great reward. But later on in that chapter, Abraham says, okay, well, um, I still go childless, so what's my reward? So God just said, I am your everything. I am the greatest thing you will ever have. And he says, I get that, but you also said I'm going to be a great man and a father of many nations, but I don't have any children here. So what are you going to do about that? He didn't, he didn't quite get it until later on. But one person who really got it was Moses. Moses understood it. You read Exodus 33 and 34, and you see that Moses had three encounters on a mountaintop with God. Some powerful things happened while he was on the mountaintop. He, he told God, I'm leading two and a half million people. They're down there trying to build a golden calf and they're, they're impatient and all this kind of stuff. But don't lead me. Don't take me anywhere unless your presence goes with us. God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Rest is always the byproduct of entering into the presence of God. And then he goes on and he dares. And what Pastor Wally spoke of in Isaiah this morning he said, God, show me your glory. Now, Moses would have known that if he saw the face of God, he would die. Because how could you stand in sin to look at the face of God and still live? But he dared. His desire for the presence of God, his desire for the more of God was so deep that he said, show me your glory. Show me your glory, God. I want to, to see you more. I'm desperate for more of you. And I pray that that's our heart here this morning. I remember a couple of years ago, I was up on a church balcony talking to our IT guy, our sound people. And as I was talking, one of my friends who was born and raised in Tijuana, Mexico, his name, his name is Diane, Diane with the Y. And uh, he came into the sanctuary. He's a worship leader. And he walked into the sanctuary. He didn't see that we were up in the balcony. So I said, Diane, this is God. And he started laughing. He knew it was me. And he says, you know, I actually did that as a kid and somebody believed it. 
He goes, every morning at my dad's church in Tijuana, we would open the altar at 6 a.m. and people can come in and get prayer and pray and seek God before, uh, right before they go to work and so forth. And there was this little old man who always came crying out that he could hear God's voice, crying out that he could hear God's voice. And one day, Diane and his brother are in the balcony and he calls out that guy's name and he just screamed in excitement and ran out of the church thinking that God had audibly spoken to him. But Diane's dad was standing right there and saw the whole thing. So he got into some big time trouble. But I pray that, that our, our hearts are the same, that we want nothing more than to hear God's voice for ourselves. We don't want just a preacher to tell us what to think. We don't want to just read a book all about it. We want to go before the throne room of God and hear directly from heaven, from his heart to our hearts. That should be the priority of our lives is to desire him above all else. And Moses had it right. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Now, glory in the Hebrew is a very, very pregnant word. It's one of those words that means so many things. And it's the word in Hebrew, kabad, not kebab, like shish kebab. I know we're almost at lunchtime and some of us are getting hungry, but kabad. And this is a word that means wealth. It means honor. It means powerful presence. It means manifestation of glorious presence. It means weightiness. Have you ever been in a, in a moment with God where you're in worship and you kind of just feel a heaviness on you in a good way? Like just this weight upon you, weightiness, glory of God. And it also means reward. So glory, glory is this, this wonderful thing that we can seek out. And my personal definition of glory is it, it has all those wonderful things in it. But to me, it's simply the presence of God made manifest. Everything that God has loved, joy and peace and power and all these things made tangible. Love is substance. Love is tangible. God's presence being made manifest in our life. That's my example of what it means to be in the glory. Now, there's a difference between the presence of God and the manifest presence of God. We know that in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, that we are, our bodies itself house God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's presence is everywhere. He's omnipresent. You, you can't go anywhere. Psalm 139 says, where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. Even if I go to the depths of hell, you are there. God is everywhere. And if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. You always have the presence of God. No matter how you feel, no matter what you go through, no matter how many mistakes, you have the presence of God. But then there's the manifest presence of God. And here's the difference. You can have somebody in the front row just absolutely entering into worship. Oh God, I sense you. Oh God, you're so amazing. And then the person next to them is knocked out. The presence of God is there, but one of them is tuning in. The other one is tuning out. But when you have the manifest presence of God, even the snorer inside of the church is going to wake up and realize God is doing something here. It's like the pillar of fire and smoke as the Israelites were walking through the wilderness. That was the very manifested presence of God right then and there, and everybody could see it. The enemies could see fire and smoke. The unbelievers could see fire and smoke. That was God's presence manifested. And I live for those moments where we can have encounters with God where he is completely undeniable to every single person, not just the unbelievers. We want to see the glory of God. There was a lady who wrote uh, very heavily on the glory of God called Ruth Ward Heflin, she had a lot of great quotes about the glory of God. Um, one of them was, you just worship and the spirit of God comes. Then you commune until his glory comes. Then you stand in the glory. 
hey, if we can get that right, we're going to be pretty okay in life. But she had another quote, and she said that the atmosphere of earth is air, but the atmosphere of heaven is glory. And I know that's not Bible, but maybe, just maybe, that is the reason why sometimes when you get into the presence of God, it takes your breath away. Because the atmosphere of heaven is glory. I remember as a teenager, I was working two jobs. I was working daytime at at an auto parts warehouse, and I was working nights and the weekends at the church that I served in. Uh, At that point, they didn't have full-time hours for me, so I was doing two different jobs. But 18, 19 years old, right out of high school, and I was tired. And I remember that there was a season of insomnia where I just couldn't get to sleep. I mean, I worked 10 hours a day. And I worked hard, and yet I still couldn't fall asleep. And one, one night, one morning, at 3 o'clock in the morning or so, I just I couldn't take it. I just crawled to the edge of my bed. And have you ever ushered one of those one-word prayers? I just bowed my head, and I just said, help. That's all I could say. And I wasn't half asleep, and I wasn't going crazy. But in that moment, I literally physically felt arms wrap around me, took my breath away. That's one of the one of several moments that I've had with God where it was undeniable, his manifest presence. And I'm so grateful that you and I on this planet have the opportunity to commune with God in that way. I'm thankful that we are born and alive in this day and age. I'm, I'm grateful to live in 2021 and not 1400 BC. If we lived in that time, the presence of God was not only difficult to enter in, but at times very deadly. I mean, when they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant and it stumbled a little bit and someone reached out, they dropped dead. Like, well, that's not fair. <laughs> you know, or uh, the Day of Atonement. Remember the high priest? The high priest would walk into the holies of holies, which was the actual presence of God. And before Jesus, God can't have any fellowship with, with sin and with darkness. So if you walked into the presence of God and you had sin on you, the penalty of sin is death. It's not God killing you. It's your own sin killing you. And so the priest would go into the holies of holy, but on his robe, he had bells that were in the shape of pomegranates on the edge of his robe. And they would have a rope tied around his ankle. Because if he went into the holies of holy, and from the moment he sacrificed in the outer courts to when he got into the holy of holy, if he sinned in any way, shape, or form during that time, when he stepped into the presence of God, he would die. So the people outside are holding a rope, and if they stop, hear those bells are jingling, whoop. We lost another one. They'll yank him out and they'll put another one in. Could you imagine being priest number two? That was your job. You see this dead priest being drugged out. You're like, uh, you know what? I just feel so strongly right now. And the Holy Spirit is calling me to children's ministry. Uh, So number three, that's you. (laughs) Can you imagine? Oh my Lord. But if you had any sin on you, you couldn't have any fellowship with God. But then Jesus came into this world. The father saw the depravity of man and saw how impossible it was. And while we were yet sinners, God in his great love sent his only begotten son to die in our place. Though Moses had the law and it was difficult to get to the presence of God, first, not first John, John chapter one, verse 17 says, grace and truth were realized through Jesus. And because of what he did in this divine exchange, now we can declare Hebrews 4.16 that we can come boldly before the throne room of grace, that we can come boldly before God, that our sin is completely hidden. Yes, our flesh can still sin, but our spirit is wall-to-wall Holy Spirit. It is completely saved. It is completely alive. It is completely pure. And our sins are hidden in Christ Jesus. 
So there's several things that we need to understand about God's heart and his nature and wanting to be intimate with his presence. You got to understand that God wants to be found by you. God loves your fellowship more than you love his. God loves to commune with you more than you do with him. He wants to be found with you. Now, when my son, I'm going to owe him $5. Every time I use him in a sermon, I have to give him five bucks. I might have to give him 10 for this one. It's kind of embarrassing. But (laughs) when my son was two and three years old, he did not have a head. He had a pumpkin. I mean, the roundest biggest head I have ever seen on a human being. And thank God he grew into his head. But my Lord, as a toddler, it was just this globe that walked around. Like if he was, if he was 50 pounds at that time, 45 of it was in the weight of his head. It was huge. I mean, you can imagine, sorry, Jonathan, I'm going out of, out of screen, but you can imagine hide and go seek with that head. He behind furniture like this. <laughs> you could see him. <laughs> it was the easiest game in the world to play with him because he could not hide from me. But I'm so grateful that God doesn't play hide and go seek. God plays seek and you will find. Seek and you will find. My face you shall seek. My face you will find. God wants to be found by us. And I wanted to, I wanted to quote Jeremiah 29, but the more I think of it, I just wanted to to share it. Let me just read to you. It's not in your notes. It's not on the screens. Let me read to you a few verses of Jeremiah 29. Verse 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. We got a God who listens. God loves every detail about you. If it's important to you, it is important to God. Verse 13, you will seek me and find me. That's a promise. That is an absolute biblical promise that if we seek God, we will find him. You will find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations from the places where I have driven you. God wants to be found by us. If you search for God with all your heart, the Bible is so crystal clear that you can find him. Now, there's so many ways that we can seek God. You can open up the scriptures and literally hear his voice and seek him. You can pray and continue to pray until your heart is one with him. You can worship until the spirit of glory comes. There's so many ways that you can seek God. But let me encourage you and challenge you this morning that it's not just about seeking God in all the ways that we know how. It's also about having your heart being a place that can rest, where God's presence can actually rest on you. A place where your heart is not distracted and God can want to meet with you. So we want to seek God and he will be found, but is your heart in a a place? Is your heart softened enough to where God can find you? You know, the the dove in, in the scriptures is always a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And when Noah was on the ark, he sent out a dove and it it didn't have a resting place for his feet. And so it came back to him. But once that dove had a resting place, it never came back to him. Is your heart a resting place for God? We look at Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3 and we see that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. Now I used to own a dove, a pet dove, and we would put it on our shoulder. And I remember if I had that dove on my shoulder and I wanted it to stay there, I would just walk around very slowly. Every step that I took was with the dove in mind. If I moved quickly, it would fly away. If I yelled, it would fly away. Those doves are very skittish in that way. So is your heart, 
Is your heart in a place where the Holy Spirit can rest upon you and in a heart of peace and of rest, be able to commune with you and speak to your heart the great things that you need to hear? In 2 Chronicles 16, 9, it says that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro to see whose hearts he can strengthen that are fully devoted to him. God is looking for you. There's, there's times in your life where you may be uh, stressed and worried and depressed and so forth, and you feel like I've just been running from God, I've been so distracted from God, and then you turn around and you're going to bump face to face into a God who's always pursued you. He wants to be found. The other thing we need to realize, other than making our heart a resting place for God and making sure that we understand God wants to be found by us, is to know that thanksgiving is such a powerful thing to enter into the courts of God, to enter into his heart. Thanksgiving is so powerful. If you have a heart that is constantly thankful, you are making less and less room for anger, bitterness, selfishness, sin, fear, distraction. If your heart is constantly in a place of thanksgiving, God can speak to you. That's why I love so much when the, the Crawfords, you know, they, they said on the microphone a couple of weeks ago that, that at the dinner table, they purposely make it a, a discipline to say what they're thankful for about God that day. It is that powerful. We know from the scriptures that we enter his gates with thanksgiving, his gates, the temple, the tabernacle, meaning we're actually entering into his presence with thanksgiving. Psalm 95, 2 says that we draw near to God with thanksgiving. And you know, this may have to start off as a discipline for some of us. Some of us aren't naturally thankful. Some of us, like me, behind the wheel can point out everything that's wrong with the world. <laughs> you know, you're on the roads and not thankful for all that God has given to you. For some of us, we have not been in the practice of thanksgiving for so long that at first it may need to be a discipline in our lives to purposely say what we are thankful for. King David, this man who was after God's own heart, he himself said, praise the Lord, O my soul and all that is within me, praise his name. That wasn't a simple plea or a request. That was a commandment from David's spirit to his soul saying, you better praise the Lord. I don't care how you feel right now. It was a discipline, you know, and every single discipline should lead us into an encounter with God's presence. So I want to encourage you that even though you may have to have Thanksgiving as a discipline right now, don't let that discipline become legalistic. Because sometimes we can fall in love more with formulas than we do the Father. We fall in love with more about the things we do in church than the one who made church. Sometimes we fall in love so much more with the art of prayer that we fall in love with that more than we do the one who we are praying to. So we have to be careful about becoming legalistic in our approaches to wanting to get into the presence of God. Because the presence of God is everything that we want, hope for, or desire. That means by any means necessary, we want to get into the presence of God. So that may mean you may have to change some things. And that's where the push comes to the shove. I've been reading and studying the scriptures for 35 years, and the Lord has spoken to me all these years. Great, but what if he wants to do it a different way? What if he wants you to enter into worship more in this season than reading the word? Still reading the word, but more so in a place of worship. What if God is calling you to a 40-day fast, which, you know, talking about God is good. I don't know why he invented fasting, but it works. It works. Are you being called to trying something different, changing up your routine, changing up the way that you approach God? And are you legalistic and saying, I can't do that because I am fearful. I don't, I don't want to change. It's always worked for me this way. I encourage you, open your heart to see what God can really do to change some certain things in your, in your life. If you want change, sometimes we need to do some change. There's a very fiery, passionate revivalist uh, who's now in glory, but his name was Leonard Ravenhill. 
And man, that guy was, he was on it. He said it as it was. And there's this one time he said that in today's churches, he probably said this in the 80s, in today's churches, the Holy Spirit can be removed from 90% of our churches and service would continue to go on as normal. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to say this is how service is going to go. This is how my reading is going to go. This is how my study is going to go. This is how my, my disciplines are going to go. I want to say, God, you are everything. You are all I want. I want more of you. So today, Monday morning, 8 a.m., God, what can I do to draw closer to you? And maybe that is the word. Maybe that is worship. Whatever it takes to draw closer and closer to the presence of God. Disciplines are good, and they help us draw near God. But I encourage you to have encounters and make history with God. Because I can pray for you. I can lay hands on you. I can impart on you and all those kind of things. But I can't give you my history. I can't give you the wars that I've won with God. I, I can't give you my triumphs and my victories. I can't give you the revelations that he put in my heart and make it seem the same for you. It's an individual deal. And I pray that you get encounters with God. David in, in Psalm 27, he said the one thing, not the two, not the three, not the top five, the one thing I desire is to dwell in the house of the Lord and all my days to behold his beauty. We can't simply be convinced of God's love for us. We have to taste and see for ourselves that the Lord is good. And I'll conclude with this. Um, speaking of my son's giant head, <laughs> when he was a baby baby, before that head ballooned uh, a, a lot more, when he was a baby baby, he was in his crib, and we were trying to get him to sleep through the night. You know, babies sometimes they'll cry for no other reason other than we, we want a bottle or we want attention. And sometimes you have to let your baby cry it out. Have you ever been there? Parents, let that baby cry it out, they'll go back to sleep. So mom and dad are in bed, and we're listening to our baby cry and cry and cry and cry and cry. And we're like, just be strong, just be strong, don't go, let him cry it out. Eventually that cry got down to a little whimper, but parents, we know our kids' cries. We know when something's good and when something's wrong. We know when they're complaining and when something's not going right. Something wasn't right. So I got up and I went to the room and I turned on the light into his room and I looked in the crib. He wasn't there. He was at the point where he couldn't crawl out of that himself. And when I got closer, I looked at in between the sliding front gate and the metal frame, he had somehow fallen in between that and gotten stuck at the bottom of his jaw and on his neck right here. And he was crying and crying and crying and crying. And we thought he was just trying to cry through it and we didn't realize he was in some trouble. Now, you know, when, when uh, the spirit of Hercules overtakes a dad when their kid is in trouble, I don't remember how, I think I saw red. I ripped that door clear off of the hinges, threw the bolts and everything, ripped that off. By that time, Nikki had come into the room. He had a mark on the side of his face. She took the baby into our room and me and that crib, we had a conversation. <laughs> we, uh, we turned that crib into some firewood and uh, got him in a much nicer bed. And as the days went on, you know, when you're a young parent, that, that's traumatizing, you know, to think I let my son cry for that long and I didn't come to his rescue and I'm dealing with the guilt and I'm dealing with this dilemma in my head. And then God just spoke to my heart and he said, you, a fallen, sinful dad, would love your child that much, would go to any extent even laying down your own life for him, how much more would I do for you? How much more is my great love for you? I've given God the rest of my life to not just learn about his love, but to experience his love. I want to go into greater depths of God's love. 
I want to be overwhelmed in his presence more than I am overwhelmed with the things of this world. I'm telling you, the presence of God is not just something you get when you sign that sheet saying, I'm a Christian and I gave my life to the Lord. Now I have the presence of God and let me go about do my life. No, it is the reward that we have that we are to steward well and continue to grow for the rest of our lives. But if you would put a hand over your heart, I want to just impart the Father's love upon us as we exit today. Father, we thank you that in your great love you sent your Son, in which we celebrated with communion today, to take our place, to take our punishment, and to set us into a new covenant of grace in which we are your children who are dearly loved by you. Every single person within the sound of my voice, God, has a different testimony, has a different journey, has a different story. But Father, you want to invade their world and their hearts with your love. And right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your love-like liquid substance of your great love for us would simply fall upon us now. I thank you, Father, if there are some here who have been carrying guilt, who have been carrying sadness, who have been carrying worry for far too long. I pray now that your love would cast that out, that your love would displace all things that don't need to be there. May we start this week as we have now in church going after your presence above our work, above our chores, above our errands, above the distractions and entertainment that we want before us. Father, I pray that you would do something and give such an encounter of your manifest presence this week that would continue to motivate us and push us closer to your heart. To every person here today that needs a miracle, we thank you that because of your great love and because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can say that our bodies are healed in the name of Jesus. And family, today, if there's a miracle you need in your body, I pray now that you would just receive that healing in Jesus' name. Father, I pray specifically this week for great dreams. I feel in, in right now that there are some here who are having a very difficult time at nighttime with bad dreams. I pray, Father, that you would begin to overtake that and speak greatly through dreams this week. Father, if there's an emotional healing that needs to happen in this room, let it be because of your love. So now in the name of Jesus, I bless my friends here. Thank you, God, for the protection, the prosperity that is over their lives. Thank you that you still are our protector, our shield, and our very great reward. We love you, Lord, today, and we pray that you were blessed. We pray that you received honor and glory. We pray that you receive this worship and this praise as it's due to your name, as you are a great and loving Father. Bless us as we leave today. Guide us home safely. Bring us back next Sunday for more of your love and your goodness. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church family. Have a wonderful week.